Some of you have worried me to death for about the past year, year and a half. You've been all over my case. We want to hear you. When are you going to preach? When are you going to preach? We want to hear you. When are you going to speak? We want to hear you speak. Can you speak? Are you speaking this Sunday? Are you going to speak? Are you Endlessly. Well, in the next 30 minutes to three hours, <laughs> no promises. In the next 30 minutes to three hours, you're going to come to understand the meaning of be careful what you wish for. Can I get an applause? Yeah. So this morning, there's probably only one more person in the room more nervous than I am, and that's Pastor, because he doesn't know what I'm about to say. And he's never heard me speak, so he's really kind of nervous. Uh, for the few that have heard me speak, just to worry you a little bit, I have notes. And Trish groans. He has notes. This is going to get ugly. Um, anytime you stand before a group, if you take classes in public speaking, there's, there's things that they tell you to do, important things. One of the things they tell you to do is to pick a topic that everybody is interested in. And in a group this size, how do you pick one topic that everybody is interested in? That would be very difficult, right? So this morning I picked a very important topic to all of us. I want to talk about you, our favorite subject. If you listen to a person's conversation through the day, you're going to learn that the majority of their conversation, the majority of what they talk about is themselves. Because we are the one person on this planet that we know the best. Trish and I are married and we know each other very well, but she still knows herself better than I do. So I want to talk about you this morning. Can I talk about you? Can I talk about me while I talk about you? The other thing that they will tell you when you're in front of a group is, above all else, be yourself. So I know I'm not dressed like a preacher. I don't sound like a preacher. I probably don't act like a preacher. But there's a reason for that. I'm not a preacher. I'm a pastor <laughs> and a teacher. And some of y'all laugh. There, there is a fine line difference between a pastor and a preacher. They are not the same thing. But, it's, but they tell you to be yourself because we can, we can sense fake a mile away, can't we? If you've ever worked with teenagers, you will know teenagers can smell fake 10 miles down the road. If you're going to work with teenagers, you have to be real. Because if you try to put a spin on something, if you try to just fake your way through, the, they will eat you alive. So this morning, I want to talk about being yourself. Be who you are. And that scares some of us. Because we don't like who we are. We're afraid to put it out there because we spend our whole life trying to be somebody else. As little boys, we grow around, we, we get our sports figure that we just, we act like them, we talk with, like them, we have to have the same shoes that they wear, we have to have the same outfit that they wear, we'll try to play sports the way that they play sports, or we'll pick a superhero. Anybody seen the little kids running around with their cape? Or their Batman? When I was a little boy, I watched Batman, the real Batman, <laughs> Adam West, the real Batman. So on the way home, I'm in front of my aunt's house, and um, I'm still Batman. I am Batman. No, I'm Iron Man, but that's a different story. But as a little boy, I was Batman, and I'm doing my best Batman move, and I kicked the window out of my aunt's house. I was trying to be Batman, and I didn't do well. As little girls, we grow up, we pick our favorite princess, be it Cinderella or Anna or Elsa, and we'll dress like them, and we will wear our tutus, and we'll wear all of it. Yes, we. Stop looking at me like that. <laughs> hey, before I lost this hair, I could rock a tiara, and I made it look good. <laughs> I'm just saying. 
But as little girls, we will do that and we'll try to act like other people. And we'll try to be something else. And you think, well, that's little kids, they grow out of it. But then we get to school, and in school, we become everything we don't want to be because we want to fit in, don't we? Teenagers amaze me. They all dress the same, talk the same, and act the same because they want to be different. (laughs) I wear this because I'm different. Isn't that the same outfit those three guys have on? No, 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 no. I'm different. But I'm different by being the same because we want to fit in, don't we? We grow into adulthood and surely we've left all of that behind, right? As men, we look at our coworkers and that nice big Ford truck they just bought and spent a house payment. A a house. What am I talking about? Payment. It's a house you could buy a house for what they paid for that truck. And because we want to look like a big macho man too, we'll go buy us a truck. We hate driving trucks, but I want to be a macho man, so I'm going to drive a truck. (laughs) And ladies, you all will get on Facebook and we'll look at somebody else's family and Wow, they've got it all together. I need to start doing this, or I need to get involved with that. And my kids need, I'm a horrible parent. I need to do this or that. And then we get on Pinterest, and it's like, I've done everything wrong my whole life. I should have been doing this, and I should have been. And we change what we do to to try to fit in, to try to be somebody else's image of what we're supposed to be. And then we come into church, and surely church is immune, right? A church down the street starts growing and starts, their numbers start improving. They start reaching out into the community and they start doing things. And all of a sudden, we need to do that. We hold conferences. Hey, you want to double your church in 24 months? Here's exactly what you need to do. Now pay us $12,000. Okay, now we pay to double? Wait, how does that work? But churches will pay it because they're so busy trying to copy what somebody else is doing. Preachers, we will we'll latch on to our favorite speaker, be it Tommy Bates, Stephen Furtick, Ed Young, whoever it is. And then, you know, the great Bishop T.D. Jakes, you know, bless God. After today, it might be the great Bishop T.D. Jones. Bless God. Don't laugh at me. I am an ordained bishop in the church of God, and my initials are T.D. Jones. Okay? Yes. But we spend all of this time trying to be somebody else. So this morning, my question to you is, What if the impact in your life, what if the change in your life that radically rocks your world and the world around you, what if, just what if, all it is is you being you? Lay aside all of the trappings, all of the I think it should, I wish it was, so-and-so did it this way, I want What if the change in your life is just as simple as be who you are? That's too simple, isn't it? It can't be that simple. This is church. Things are complicated. We need 365 steps to financial freedom. 365 steps to exiting the church properly. I mean, we complicate everything. But what if it is as simple as coming to understand that the power that is in you is simply be yourself? And you're saying, prove it to me. Okay, fine, I'll prove it to you. Jeremiah chapter 1. And some of you groan because you know me. And if you're around me, you're going to hear Jeremiah chapter 1 
quite often. Because Jeremiah chapter 1, if you understand it correctly, can change your life. And it can change your direction. It can change who you are if you understand Jeremiah chapter 1. Now, there is a view of the Bible out there that says you're just supposed to read it. It has nothing to do with you. It's written as a historical document. This is what happened. It means nothing about you. And to that, I say hogwash. Because when we read the Bible, we should look at it and put ourselves into the story and say, okay, what is this saying to me right now? And Jeremiah chapter 1 does that in a very interesting way. So if we look at Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4, it says, The word of the Lord came to me. Doesn't say the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, does it? But it's talking about Jeremiah. This is Jeremiah's story, and we're not going to take his story away. But we're going to realize here at the very beginning, the word of the Lord came to me. So whatever follows this is the word of the Lord to me. Not to somebody else, not to the person next to me, not for three rows back. This is God's word to me. Remember, I said I'm going to talk about you, right? So what, what is the word that God is trying to get you to understand here? He says, the word of the Lord came to me saying, verse 5, Before I formed you in the womb, or some translations will say in your mother's womb, I knew you. We hear that quoted quite often in circles around abortion, trying to show the sanctity of life. And it is very important to understand that. It does apply there. Life is important. But we don't understand the connotation of that because we can't tr properly translate one letter. Before I. Who is the I there? God. God. Pretty simple concept, right? Anybody understand God? It's a simple concept. If it's so simple, why can't you explain it to me? The word. We get there. If I walked around this room and I handed you a microphone and said, tell me who God is, how many different definitions of God would I get? Everybody would have a slightly different view of God. And we miss the importance of this verse because before I, because if you don't understand who the I is that formed you, or you have a skewed view of him, because some of us see God as an absent landlord. He created us, he put us here and said, run with it, and went on vacation. Some of us looking at, look at God as that angry old grandfather sitting up there with lightning bolts waiting for you to step out of line, and as soon as you do, he zaps you and said, I knew you were worthless. Because we project onto him our concept and our perspective of what a father is. So in this eye, we have to define it carefully. And we're going to use the word to do that. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And all of my single folks said, Oh. Trish and I did singles ministry for eight years. Yes, we are superheroes. Uh, we did singles ministry for eight years. Every time you say the words 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the response you get is, because what is 1 Corinthians chapter 13? The love chapter. Hearts everywhere, right? It's so beautiful. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Start in verse 4. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, 
but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And you're saying, wait a minute. I don't get it. You said you were going to explain God to me. You just explained love to me, right? Because is that, you know, when we're talking about good godly relationships, is that not what we talk about? This is how we love one another, right? This is how we are supposed to show Christ-like love. But love is not only a verb. Love is a noun. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. He who does not love does not know God. Why? For God is love. So if God is love, all of a sudden 1 Corinthians chapter 13 takes on a different view, doesn't it? So we can go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and all of a sudden it, start, it reads, God suffers long. Some translations will say God is patient and he's kind. God does not envy. God does not parade himself. God is not puffed up. God does not behave rudely. God does not seek his own. God is not provoked. God thinks no evil. God does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. God bears all things. God believes all things. God hopes all things. God endures all things. God never fails. We just sang about it. So if God never fails, and Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5 tells me that before that God formed me in my mother's womb, he knew me. So you can't say this doesn't apply to me, I'm not a Christian. Hmm. Somehow we come to the idea that God only starts planning for us when we come to him. God hopes all things. He hopes that you're going to come to him when he formed you in your mother's womb. And if God that loves you that much formed you in your mother's womb, he knew what he was doing. And when he formed you, he put some things there that he needs back. I think about this like an engineer in Detroit. Somebody one day sat down and went, you know, we need something that will get people from here to there without a horse. What do we need? And some Einstein went, well, it's got to move, so let's put wheels on it. Wheels, good idea. We'll put wheels on it. Well, people's got to ride in it, so seats, seats, wonderful, seats. And somebody goes, well, it's got to move. Can't sit still. It's got to go somewhere. So we need an engine, right? So we put an engine in there to make it go. Genius. Why didn't I think of this? And somebody's like, well, it doesn't go in straight lines, so you're going to need a steering wheel, right? So we're going to turn it and guide it. Steering. You guys are Einsteins. And that sounds silly and it sounds stupid, but somehow we come to the idea that when God created us, that's what he was doing. Wow, quiet in here. We think that somehow God fumbled through our form, forming in our mother's womb. But the whole time God was saying, hey, I've got something for you to do. And before, I, before you ever come out of the womb, I'm putting in you this. I'm giving you this talent. I'm giving you this ability. I'm giving you this thing that you're going to need because at some point I'm going to need you to stand in front of a group of people and try to explain to them what I put in them. That didn't happen this morning when I rolled out of bed. 
that happened years ago. So if we are formed by this God who does not fail, who has all of this hope for us, who believes in us, who knows what he put there, why would we ever want to be anything but what he made us to be? But we spend our entire life trying to be something else. And I can hear you thinking already. We'll get there in a second. He goes on, that before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I sanctified you. Some people, some translations will put the word consecrated. It means the same thing. And God was very creative here. I consecrated you. I sanctified you. I set you apart. I made you special. I gave you a very specific purpose. And I say God was very creative here because if he had put the word called there, he would have lost three-quarters of you right off the bat. Because we have convinced ourselves that we are not called. The pastor is called. The worship leader is called. The Sunday school teacher is called. I just sit in the seat and volunteer occasionally. I'm not called. No. Before you were born, I called you. God did not place you here on planet Earth just to live a few years and die and pass away and not impact somebody along the way. And he definitely did not give his life on a cross so that you could go through life and not impact somebody for the kingdom of God. You were called before you were born. And if you're sitting in this room and you're drawing air and your heart is beating relatively in, relatively in rhythm, if you're here and you're breathing and your heart is pumping, you're here for a reason. There is a purpose. And he put it there before you were ever born, before he ever started working. And it goes back to that, what I said a minute ago. Somehow we think that God's waiting for us to come to him and then he's going to go, oh, you want to do something? That's wonderful. Let me see what I can find for you to do. That's not how it works. God said, I, I called you, I formed you, I put it there at the beginning so that when you finally got your act straight and God found out that I'm the one that gave it to you, that you could start using it correctly. Because there are a lot of talented people out there. Jimmy Swagger and Jerry Lewis grew up in the same family. Y'all know that? Jerry Lewis, Jimmy Swagger are cousins. They both can take a piano and make it talk. I've seen them do amazing things on a piano. I'm still trying to forgive them for it. I can't play chopsticks and get it right. I have no rhythm. I would love to play an instrument. Just never could do it because I got no rhythm. God forgot to put that in when he... God never fails. There's a reason I don't have rhythm. I'm just trying to figure out what it is. So other people can figure out, oh, that's how you don't do it. Okay, now I get it. Sometimes your life is just a warning post to others, right? Just don't do, don't. Hey, be yourself, right? Be who you are. That's all I'm doing today. I'm, I'm just being who I am. So he consecrated you. He called you. He gave you a purpose before you were ever born. And the next sentence will mess with some people. I ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. Pastor Cam, now wait, 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 wait. That's Jeremiah. It's not me. Jeremiah was called a prophet to the nations. 
Back up. Where did we start in verse 4? The word of the Lord came to who? Me. I ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. And we want to get very biblical and very astute. And we're going to pull out all of our reference books and we're going to say, Brother Tim, a prophet of God is... And we'll give this definition of who a prophet is. A prophet of God is one who proclaims the word of God to lost people. Look through your Old Testament. What did the prophet usually end his words with? Thus saith God. Never understood all of these people who want to be prophet so-and-so and and prophetess so-and-so and they haven't read their Old Testament. These were some bizarre folk. Come in buck naked in front of the king. Yo, king, thus saith God. Comes in wearing a yoke around their neck. Yo, king. Thus saith God. My favorite. Go find a prostitute and marry her. Make her your wife. What? Y'all are like, that ain't in the Bible. Go home, look it up. Marry a prostitute. And he used it as an example of how his people had left him and gone astray, but yet he was a faithful husband. The whole time. I have ordained you to be a prophet. What he put in you before he formed you was not unimportant. He gave you something important to do, something that impacted another life or a group of lives. Our problem is we put our definition of important on God's word and we miss it. Because we read a prophet to the nations and we say, oh, well, that's a missionary that goes, oh, you know, that's the dyers, they go to other countries, that's them. That's important. All I do is wipe snotty noses in the nursery. That's not important. It's extremely important. I don't have my phone. I was going to read a quote. Anyway, we try to write off what God put in us as unimportant because we don't understand what the impact of what he wants us to do is. Yes, Lord. (laughs) We call it unimportant, and God is saying, this is what I created you for. David sitting in a field, cold and lonely, tending sheep. Just sitting there, minding his business. All I'm here to do is tend sheep. I'm the youngest of my brothers. This is my lot in life. I'm going to sit right here and I'm going to tend sheep. God said, you learned a valuable lesson tending sheep because I'm going to make you a king that tends a nation. David could have looked at what God gave him and said, it's nothing. But God said, yeah, but while you were doing that, you learned how to protect people. You learned how to protect your flock. You learned how to take a sling and hurl a stone to protect those around you. (laughs) Every shepherd can do that. God said, no. You see it as insignificant and unimportant. I'm telling you, I have called you to be a prophet to the nations. I have called you to be kings and princes and princesses over my world. But we miss it because we write it off and say it's unimportant. We don't understand what it means to be ordained as a prophet. And to prove that this is written to you, because I know what some of you all are thinking right now. We get verse 6. Then said I, Ah, oh Lord God, 
Behold, I cannot speak, for I'm a youth. Started making excuses. Hey, we need, we really have a need in the church for somebody to lead. No, man, not me. I'm not a leader. Nope, nope, can't do that. Nope. Have you went and found Pastor Paul? What about Tim? Well, Josh, he, I mean, all he does is sing, right? Maybe he's got time. He can do but we need you to, but I, I, I can't, I, and we have a list of excuses why we can't do what God has called us to do a mile long, and we start excusing ourselves out of what God has called us to be, and then we wonder why our life doesn't run the way we think it ought to. It's a good Southern word. I'm Southern. Be yourself, right? Be who you are. It's who God made me. But as soon as a call comes, a need, we need, immediately we start excusing why we can't be that person. Jeremiah did the same thing, but oh Lord, I'm I'm too young, I'm too old, I'm too, I can't talk right. I say ought to instead of ought to, and you can't, I can't do that because I don't have enough hair, I don't have enough hair to be pastor. I got less than I'm too tall I'm too short I'm too old I'm too young I'm too I'm too I'm too and we start making all of these excuses to God why we can't do something think about how stupid that is because what did we just read before I formed you in your mother's womb and we're telling him, I can't because, and he's like, why would I ask you if I didn't already know what I put there to begin with? I got a toolbox at home. I put the tools in it. I'm not going to go to my toolbox and say, toolbox, I need an angle grinder. My toolbox is going to go... Sorry, Mr. Tim, I got no angle grinder. (laughs) Crack somebody up. My job is done. I can end right here. I never put it there, so I'm never going to go to that toolbox and ask it for something I did not put in it. God is never going to come to you and ask of you something that he didn't already put in you. Now, whether you realize he put it in you or not is a totally different story. Because we've grown up alive being, trying to be somebody that we're not, instead of being who God created us to be, and we're totally missing our calling in God because we think it's not there, and the whole time God's going, yes, I put it there. I just want it back. But we miss it too much. And then God does something amazing for Jeremiah and for us. Verse 7. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am a youth, for you shall go to all whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand, touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set this day, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down, to build, and to plant. In our list of I can'ts, we're saying I can't. You know what? You're absolutely right. You can't but he can. He said, don't tell me, don't give me your excuses. Just look to me and I will go before you. I will do for you. I will give you the words to say. I will be the one that helps you. I will be the one. So can God do it or can he? So when we start down our list of I can't because, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, what you're really saying is, God, you can't do this. You can't use me to do this. You're not bright enough to understand that I can't teach that class. 
you're not smart enough to realize that you never gave me the ability to breathe. You're just stupid. To God? I will give you the words to say. All you have to do is be obedient. Say what I tell you to say. Go where I tell you to go. Do what I tell you to do. And leave the rest to me. Somehow we get it all messed up in the church and we think that the, the success or failure of a ministry is on my ability, what I can do. My dear sweet friend, you're not that important. I know some of you think you are, but you're not that important. You're not that powerful, but he is. He can do this. And the last thing, wrapping up. Somebody go play some music before I before it turns into the three hours. Amber says she was promised three hours and she wants her three hours. You might be the only one in here because I'm hungry and I'm going home. I thought staff meeting was next week and staff meeting was next week. See, got no staff meeting. Be yourself. And then a test comes. There at the end of verse 11, he says, and I, uh, verse 11, moreover, the word came to, the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? Anybody catch a contradiction there? What was God just talking about? I will give you words. I, you will say what I, you will go, you will say, you will. He's talking about words, right? What was Jeremiah's test? What do you see? Has nothing to do what Jeremiah was talking about. Jeremiah was hearing words, but the test had nothing to do with words. The test was, what do you see? We miss the call of God in our life because we think we know what it is. And when something comes along that doesn't perfectly line up with what we say our purpose is, we say, well, that's not God, and we move on. My life in ministry started behind a curtain with a puppet. has nothing to do with being in front of people speaking, has nothing to do with teaching a class, has nothing to do with pastoring people, has nothing to do with crying with those who cry and laugh with those who laugh, has nothing to do with being finding creative ways to be hospitable to others. You know, way back when I read you all that, it's Romans chapter 12. It's God's call on my life. Be with my sheep. Love on them. Be there with them. Be one of them. Get in the dirt. Get dirty with them. It's what he called me to do. What did being behind a curtain with a piece of felt on your hand, with your hand over your head for like 20 minutes? You want to find fun? Do this for 20 minutes. And tell me that you can feel your fingers at the end. <laughs> Had nothing to do with the call of God on my life, seemingly. But the lessons I learned there prepared me for another step in the journey to where God goes, okay, now you see what you can do. Let me show you a little more. Don't want to pick on nobody, but uh, a couple of months ago, we put a post on Facebook, and it was, uh, we need nursery workers. And there was a comment that said, well, maybe you're not called to be in the nursery. What better place to learn your call than in the nursery? Learning to serve. And guess what? If you screw it up, they're kids. They bounce, okay? I'm not saying that I've dropped a baby or two in my time. I'm just saying. 
you are, <laughs> they're not basketballs. Yes, I am aware of that page. <laughs> but they're so small that anybody can hold a baby. If you can hold something without dropping it, you're qualified. Maybe why I don't work in the nursery. Just, anyway, if you can do something that simple, maybe it will spark a light in you to go, wow, I can love on other human beings. I can show love. Had an amazing class this morning in our connection class. We're talking about living a spirit-baptized life. And in Acts 1.8, Jesus himself said, you will be given power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And we got to talking about that, and it's like, what is that power? Power to be witnesses? I got to go knock on doors and hand out tracts, and is that what it's? No. I gave you power to be a witness. And if you think about a courtroom, what is a witness there to do? To testify, present evidence. How do we present evidence that we have a God that loves people and wants to see their lives changed? We do it through service. Let me show you a better way. Trish posted on Facebook this morning, there's a quote she saw somewhere else. It said, just think, if your child said, I know God because I had a parent that showed me who he was and equipped me to live a fearless life. And we took that quote and said, change the word parent. I had a coworker that showed me God. Didn't preach at me, didn't throw scriptures at me, just served me. Became a witness for God. Presented the evidence through me, through their actions, through their life, that there is a God and that he does change lives. So I go back to my original question when I got started. What if the impact that you are called to make, what if the life that you are called to live, that one thing that God created you to be is just on the other side of be yourself? You don't have to go to seminary, cemetery, seminary, something like that. You don't have to graduate Lee University. You don't have to take 30 courses. You don't have to, you don't have to be ordained minister or ordained. Be who God created you to be. And watch how your life changes. Watch how that your impact on others changes. Watch how God starts moving through you and your life simply because you put away all of the fake and say, you know what? I'm going to be who God called me to be. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not saying it's going to be... People will not understand. Believe me, I know. I don't dress like a preacher. I don't dress like a pastor. I don't talk like a pastor. People don't understand that. And yes, it has cost me along the way. It has cost me the respect of some. It's cost me position, promotion. It's, it's cost me a lot. But how can I be anything other than what God called me to be? For me to walk in here in a three-piece suit and my bow tie, which I don't own a three-piece suit. I own a two-piece suit. Very nice suit, actually. And my bow tie, and I walked in here. Would I look good? Absolutely. Hey, nobody else compliments me. I have to, okay? I would look good. 
because I make everything look good. That's what she tells me. Is she lying to me? And I could look the part, but am I really being what God called me to be? Or am I just putting on a show or trying to be something I'm not? And in the process, I'm getting in the way of what God is wanting to do in my life. You've got to preach and shout and the run from Pastor Paul. He does that well. I'm the deep thinker. Well, I try to make you think, not me the deep thinker. I'm trying to make you think deep. Get off my case. Jeez, people. Lord, forgive them. They know not what they do. Do you get what I'm trying to say? Have I made you think a little bit? And it is Volunteer Sunday. There's little volunteer forms back here and over there. You know what, God? I don't know that a small group leader is what I'm called to be. But 1 Corinthians 13 says you keep no, you keep no ledger of wrongs. So if I do it and I fail, are you okay with that? Absolutely. Go learn that you're, a, you're not a small group leader. Albert, uh, not Albert, um, Thomas Edison, you failed so many times before you created the light bulb. He said, I never failed once. I discovered 940 ways how not to make a light bulb. But in the process, I learned how to do it. You might not be a small group leader. I'm trying to find one. You might be a hospitality person. Because that's a ministry we're going to be starting soon. Just somebody that says, hey, good morning. Glad you're here. Want a Danish? Want a cup of coffee? Want a... Good morning. You might be a greeter. You might be... But don't let what you can't do or what you think you can't do stand in the way of what God has called you to be. It's too important. It is far too important. Man, stand to your feet. Father, I thank you for these people. Lord, they have sat and they have listened intently. I could see it on their face. Lord, and I know that this morning you were speaking into our lives. Some chose to hear, some chose not to hear. Some are still trying to make excuses. But hopefully there are some here who says, God... You put it there because you want it back. And I'm ready to surrender it. I'm ready to offer it back to you, whatever it is. And it might be scary to tear down, to destroy, to reap, to plant. Those are all scary thoughts. Prophets to nations, I don't know I'm made for that. But God, what you put in us, you put there for a reason. And this morning, Lord, I just pray that the, open the hearts of your people. Father, for just a brief moment, give them a glimpse of the greatness that you put within them. Let them for just a brief second come to understand what you did in them before they were ever born. Father, for just a second, let us all see ourselves as you see us. Not as the broken, flawed, messed up people that we feel like we are. But Lord, let us see ourselves through your eyes. Let us see the wonderful creation, the gifted, talented child that you have created us to be. 
And then, Lord, let us take that view of ourselves and share it with the world, not for our own pride, not for our own edification, but, Lord, to show them that they are wonderfully created. They were fearfully and wonderfully made just like I am. And let me be a witness. Let me be the evidence to the world that you change flawed, broken vessels into useful vessels that makes impacts on people's lives here and around the world. And in, at the end of all of that, Father, we give you glory because it's not about what we can do, it's about what you can do. It's not about our words, it's about your words spoken through us. So Father, today, I thank you for this opportunity to do what you have created me to do, to say the words that you wanted to say. And Lord, I give you glory this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope, if nothing else, I've made you think this morning. Hopefully, the next time you look in the mirror, you might see yourself just a little bit different. And then take that and go change a world. Go make an impact. Just go and rock your world today. You all have a great week. Don't forget to grab a survey form, fill it out, let us know who you are, where you're interested so that our our leadership can get in touch with you and give you more information. Be blessed, my people.